0: At the end of the day, the right client, you're going to make that connection, close the deal, and they're just going to pay you. It's not going to be this back and forth. So I think it's just everything we're talking about as far as being able to hold your clients accountable, taking the emotion out of this function of your business so that you can be successful because without money, your company's not running anymore.
1: Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you, but that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Thanks for joining the Hands Off CEO podcast. I am your host, Mandy Ellefson. Today on the show, we have Nicole McKenzie and Ashley Carroll from Momentum Accounting. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mandy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So glad to have you guys on here. I know that you focus on working with agencies, consulting agencies, that's your main business that you're working with. And I thought that it'd be a great idea to have a conversation today around How do you be able to exit out of the financial side of the business? How do you be able to do it in a way where you don't have to worry about being embezzled? And what are those mistakes? So we're going to have a really good meaty conversation about this today too. But I want to first just kind of jump in. I'll start with you, Nicole. What is your background that got you and Ashley into this? I'll get your take on it after Ashley.
2: Sure. So I like to say I am a recovering CPA. So after college, I went and worked at a traditional CPA firm did an audit did tax and then while i was there i had the opportunity to move into the outsourced accounting department which is much different than filling out tax returns in the outsourced accounting department i was able to work more closely with the day-to-day operations of small businesses work with a lot of new technology when i graduated from college it was really two options it was auditor tax there was no outsourced accounting and within the last 10 years there's just been so much technology emerging in the accounting space that has allowed CPAs and accounting professionals to be more embedded with small business owners. So once I started doing that, I just absolutely fell in love with working so close with business owners. So I ended up starting Momentum about six years ago after leaving that firm and hired Ashley three years ago. She's my COO, right-hand woman, just absolutely has changed the business since I brought her on. But what we do is we work with agencies and other professional small businesses that are trying to get to the next level in their business. So typically between one and 10 million, they're at the point where they're asking questions like, how much money can I take out of the business? How much can I pay myself? When can I hire the next employee? When can I offer benefits? How do I offer benefits? How do I pay my employees? So they have, they're have they reaching this inflection point in the business where they have all of these questions and the business owner is either one trying to do it themselves, (laughs) which is typically not the best use, highest and best use of their time, or they've outgrown a bookkeeper that's not sophisticated enough to get them to that next level, or they're trying to leverage their CPA who eight months out of the year isn't available because they're in busy season or they're on vacation after busy season is over. And so what I found is when I was at that CPA firm that there was all these business owners that needed the help of a professional but didn't know it was available or didn't have access to it. And so I'm super excited that the technology has allowed us to be so immersed in our clients' businesses. And we've really become true partners for our clients. We don't see ourselves as a vendor. We see ourselves as an extension of our clients' team. I like to say we're the better alternative to a one-person accounting department. And there's lots of reasons why you don't want one person in your accounting department so we can jump into that. But yeah, we have a team of 10 across the US, all working remotely from home. Ashley's on
1: Philly. I'm in California. We've got clients all across the US. Love that. And I, to your point, that inflection point that you're talking about, it's real. And I see this in our consulting agency clients that happens right around seven figures. What are you guys seeing?
2: Yeah, we're seeing the same thing. Because typically when you first start out, it's just you. It's easy, right? And then when you start hiring employees you're sending out invoices. And when you send out an invoice, when you're just you, it's like, I don't mind if I wait three months to get paid. And then all of a sudden, when you start hiring employees, you're having to pay. If you wait three months to get paid by your client, you've paid that employee six times. And so all of a sudden, there's a snowball effect. And also it could be that they didn't price properly because they're not pricing for that to pay that employee salary and then have margin on top of that. And then there's a lot of questions around, they may have a spouse at home that's like, hey, <laughs> you know, how much money can you take out of the business? And they're not really sure how much to keep in the business versus invest back in or pay themselves. And they don't really have the data to help them make that decision. So it just gets a lot more complicated when you get to that $1 million mark. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's when you start to really like need a team and bring in that other person. And like Nicole said, it creates this like factor of accountability that you don't necessarily you have self-accountability, but it puts this outside accountability on you for the first time, time—either you know, to your employee or your client, you know, you're building, you're promising bigger services that require a bigger delivery or your spouse or something like that. I think that's definitely like the key factor. You know, you're grown to a space where you're not operating by yourself anymore. And, you know, there's this level of accountability to these other people.
1: And so one of the biggest challenges that I hear with this, first of all, is that, the CEOs at this phase just don't know what they don't know. That's one of the things that I'm seeing. So I want to talk about that at some point here. What is it that they don't know that they need to know? But the other thing that I, I'm seeing here is the expense. A lot of people look at hiring either a fractional CFO is a lot of times one of the things that they they take a look at. And I know that you guys do so much more than just that, but they know that they're, they're going to have a bookkeeper at this stage. They're going to have a CPA. They're going to have someone who's doing their taxes. And, like you're saying, it was such a great point that, like, they're not available a huge chunk of the year because they're dealing with taxes. And then, on top of that, I don't find tax accountants very helpful at all when it comes to, like, actually strategizing with your money. That would be, like, the last person that I would ask for advice for my money. <laughs> they're very real challenges because, you know, the bookkeeper just, they can keep the books right. But here's the other thing is, is like, how do you actually even, instruct the bookkeeper in a way to keep the books so that it actually gives you the intel you want. Those are some things that I see across the board with our clients too. I am not a financial advisor, but I find myself and you know, our team giving our clients some of these things because that's what they need. If you have anything, any comments on that. We're talking to a client recently, actually a mutual client that we have.
2: And he said, you know, I wish I would have hired you guys sooner. We went through probably a two-month sales process with him and his business partner wanted to hire us, and he didn't want to because he didn't know if he could afford us. And his comment was that he was using the bank account like a gas tank, and whatever was in the gas tank, that's how he was making his decisions. And then the other business partner, who was does the sales, was out there making all these sales. So he's like, "Yeah, we can afford to hire somebody. I just closed a twenty thousand dollar a month deal." And then the other business partner is looking at what's in the bank account today and saying, no, 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 we can't afford to hire anyone. So there was just this challenge between the two partners in being able to move forward. They were stunted because they didn't have the information. But the first thing that we did when we started with them is we removed the one owner who was in the finance function completely out of that. So he was spending between five to 10 hours per week on the accounting function between managing payroll, managing state payroll notices, doing the bookkeeping, sending out invoices, paying the bills, all of these different things. And then at the end of the day, when the other business partner asked, hey, how are we doing? What are our financials look like? He could not articulate what the numbers meant. And so... When you talk about what is the ROI of the accountant, there's a couple things like number one, it's your time. But then number two, there's this emotional burden that you have of all these questions that you don't have answered and this direction that you can go. There's two things that you need to know in order to get somewhere, right? You need to know where you are today and you need to know where you're going. And a lot of times when we come on, what we do is we allow the client to know where they are today. And so we come in, we clean up the financial statements and say, Hey, look, let's develop some KPIs so you can see historical trends. Are you pricing properly? What does your margin look like in comparison to the rest of the industry? Where do you want to go? Okay. So now that we know where we're at today, we have removed you from the accounting function. You have all this time back now that you can go do sales or go do other things. And then the next step from there we did with this client is we started out building up a forecast. So we look at what's in their pipeline. So we have the sales guy who knows what's in the pipeline. So he's, we're having meetings with both partners now and they're in sync. They're on the same page. And then the other partner knows who we're hiring, right? So we're putting in who do we think we're going to hire? What is our revenue? How much revenue can each of these people manage? So we're helping them manage capacity too, because that's always a big question is how much capacity do I have? How many people do I need to hire? So it really just put everybody on the same page. Their growth has just been so much quicker now that you've been involved. Right. And then we've been involved and we've been able to show them their growth over time and help them plan for it.
1: Yeah. And I've actually seen some of the, the dashboarding that you put in place for companies. I'm like, I'm blown away. I've seen a lot of different setups and the the technology that you put behind the services that you do, just, it makes it so much easier. And I was looking at this and I'm like, man, we need to get some of these charts in our company. I was salivating over it a little bit. So I'm loving what you're doing on that part. And I'm also loving that when you're working with our clients, that they actually can see the numbers and see the the actual impact that our programs make with them because they're nuanced numbers. Because here's the thing is, is that you can actually beat a million dollars at the beginning of the year and a million dollars at the end of the year. And usually our clients aren't at that place, but they're usually growing quite a bit on the top line. But here's the thing is, is that, you know, we've had clients before that have gone and they've tripled their fee, they've tripled the length of engagement, but they haven't actually grown top level, top line. They're working with a third of the clients and making more money, making more profit, but there's some level of sophistication on the back end to be able to actually show that.
2: Yeah. And a lot of times, I know you talk about this too, it is a mindset thing. So when we were talking about the ROI of accounting the other day, it's this mindset change of, oh, I can't afford that to how can I afford that? how can I invest that back into my business and my success? So if you think if you had 10 clients and you could raise each of the clients a hundred dollars, then could you afford our fee? Pricing is definitely the number one thing. That's the easiest low hanging fruit that you can change in order to have a significant impact in your business. So a lot of accountants will come in and say, we're going to look at every expense that you have and every software expense and make sure that you're not overpaying. It's like, Hundred dollars a month is not going to change the impact of your business. Raising your prices and providing more value to your clients is going to significantly impact your business. And as an example, when I hired Ashley, she came on. I wasn't doing this in my own business, it was just me. I was trying to do everything right. When I hired Ashley, who's my COO, she came on and she rescoped every single client, and we charged for the value that we were providing for them and we charged for the work we were doing for them. And if you don't keep an eye on that and don't make that a process where you're continually innovating and you're continually trying to add more value and adding more services, you're not going to grow. So that's one area mm-hmm. where I think that the client or our clients, we help them try to see that through the numbers, right? Like we can't do it for them. We can't go out and resell the services for them, but we can at least show them what their margin is and even drill down on certain clients and see what their margin is on certain clients.
1: hundred percent, I love this. I love this I love it loves. So we do this with our clients, but the, the calculations we're doing is back of the napkin type of calculations. And we have tools and calculators, but knowing that the numbers are only as good as what they give us and, and recognizing that a lot of consulting agencies, their numbers are not very accurate. And we know that when they're coming in the door, that a lot of those numbers are not going to be accurate, but they're good enough for us to be able to make some assumptions and change the direction and change the pricing based on value. And I love what you're sharing about the value because so many accountants will come and just like, they pull out the scissors and they say, well, how can we cut, 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 cut. And here's the thing is that they actually are doing more harm than good because yeah. what they will do is the CFOs are sometimes some of our worst enemies. Cause we're like, well, my CFO says we need to have this margin. And you know, I a hundred percent agree with you, but if you are so stuck on having this margin every single month, And you can't allow it to dip for a few months so that you can actually make the investments to be able to maybe double the profit over the course of the next six months after that. It's very short-sighted. Yeah. Whenever I have a client
2: ask me what their profit margin should be, I'm always like, well, it depends. Are you trying to sell your business tomorrow? Are you trying to go golfing three days a week? Are you investing back in the business? What's going on? And so you can't just straight line say every business or every agency should have a 30% profit margin because you don't know what that team structure is. You don't know what stage they are in terms of growth. You don't know if they're investing in building out a new service line. There's so many other things that you have to peel back. And so it's about creating those KPIs with the client and where they're at. And then if it does dip below, you should be able to explain why it did. And if the reason is, hey, I'm investing in this consultant so that I can double my profit margin two years from now, then that's totally fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually something that in our high level boardroom where our scale to freedom members go, when they're at the point where they're multi seven figure hands-off CEOs, and there's not a whole lot we can teach them left. They don't really need to learn more. They just more about like, how do I get out of my own way? This is a topic that was actually coming up and noticing how like that short term, we've got to have a 30% profit margin was actually preventing him from going and hiring the staff that he knew that he needed. And one of the things that is unique about the clients that go through Scale to Freedom is is that they've learned how to create such incredible demand for their services that they constantly can create as much demand as they want. They can turn on the growth. But even with when they've already done this, when there's like unlimited supply of clients and very limited supply of their services, they still run into these head trash things. And it's very interesting to observe how that attachment to the profit margin is one of the very things that is preventing him from very literally bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars of more profit over the next 12 mm-hmm. months.
0: Yeah, that's a huge opportunity cost. And I think just not bringing in other people or just thinking back to like, where is this fixation on this specific profit margin coming from? And there's definitely like... When you're in it day-to-day, you're growing the business. I know this is your baby. It means everything to you. You're investing a lot emotionally into this time-wise. You're building out these services. It's something you really believe in. and It can be difficult to zoom out and reassess the big picture and say, is this working for me? Is the way that I'm doing things now going to help me grow to the next level? And I want to back up a couple questions and just say like, Even in the way that you asked the question the first time, you know, I heard a lot of different terms like fractional CFO, bookkeeper, accountant, and I just want to be really clear that there's a whole spectrum of financial professionals out there, and we all have different skill sets and things that we focus on and are really good at. And so it may be the right move for you to use your CPA up until a certain level of growth because you only need that tax compliance. You're not at that point where you're asking more operational questions, kind of like things Nicole's asking here, like, can I land this next big client? Do I have the capacity to service them? Can I create a really sexy benefits package to get top tier talent in this market? All these questions that you're asking as you want to like grow a big business. And it's important that when you're looking for that person to bring in, you are really clear about what you want that person to be doing for you. Even if you don't know exactly what that person should be called, you don't know if you're looking for a bookkeeper or an accountant or a controller or a fractional CFO, at least being able to communicate, I want to be able to grow my business and I don't have any cash in the bank. At least having that awareness or I want to be able to hire the next person and I have cash in the bank. but. What's the true cost of that employee? Do I need to offer benefits? Can I offer them contractor role instead of employment? You don't have to know exactly the title of the person you're looking for, but a good partner will be able to tell you if they can help you with the pain point, if you're super clear about that. So I think a lot of times we have people come to us and I do all the sales for you know Momentum as far as like talking about scope and figuring out pricing and and figure out how our team's going to partner with you and fit into your workflows. And I think the biggest piece of pushback I hear is, well, I have a very simple business. Yeah, it's super simple to you because you grew this thing from the ground up. It's all in your head. It's in your heart. You know it like the back of your hand. But somebody coming in doesn't. And so you have to be able to zoom out, assess the big picture, understand all the workflows that you've got going on, and then identify like, what is the exact pain point that i'm trying to solve at least being able super clear on that is going to help you when you're having conversations on who do i bring in that will also help you know that you're making the right decision with the person because that conversation should be i mean kind of fun i would think if you're a business owner to finally engage with someone who's like it's on the same wavelength as you as far as the problem you're experiencing and they have ideas about it and the good thing about us is we're also a small business so that helps us that we like to work with small businesses a lot because we're experiencing things too. We have to put a payment processor in place. You know, Nicole had to hire me to get her clients repriced and rescoped, and so we're hoping that anything that we've experienced, we can pass that information and knowledge down to you and save you some time. But That connection is so easy when we have that first phone call. It's easy to tell if we're the right fit for you. So if you're not getting that feeling when you're having that initial conversation, either make sure that you know your what your pain point you're trying to solve is super clear, or you know, just be okay with shopping around until you're comfortable with that.
1: You know, one of the things that I have noticed too is that first of all, you're dealing with money and money, there is an enormous amount of emotions around money. Those are oftentimes some of the biggest blocks that we have to continuing growing the company. There's like so much emotions around like feelings of failure around this. What I have observed from a lot of consulting agencies is a whole lot of BS They can talk a a good talk to hide. They are feeling like they don't know what they're doing. They have grown beyond the skill sets. And this is one of these things that your company can grow beyond where you're like, there's all these things that are beyond what I know what to do now with this. The other thing about this is like at this stage, you're at a level of success. You don't necessarily want other people to be knowing that either. So that's where I hear some of that BS, like the talking it up. But the reality is, is that if you're talking in circles with a lot of people who sound like they know what they're doing with finance and you don't feel like you know what you're doing with finance, most of them are full of it. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling a little bit insecure about this, it's cool because so is most everyone else. But developing this financial acumen by working with the right teams is tremendously helpful. You definitely want someone that
0: you're comfortable with. I think if you're at any point in a conversation where you feel like like this is not a test. I'm not testing you on how well you know your accounting or if you understand general ledger details. The right fit for you will make you feel comfortable to share what's actually going on in your business. And I know that's a really vulnerable spot to be in, but I would say if you're not getting that feeling, then it's not the right fit cuz I think what Nicole and I love to do most is educate our small business owners and feel like we're saving them time, we're saving them heartache, we're saving them money by helping them not make mistakes that we've made before. We've seen other small businesses. We have these insight into these other small businesses. We know that <laughs> no one's got it 100% figured out. And that's why we're here to help. So if I think at yeah. any
1: point you're feeling
0: not good about that.
1: And here's the thing is too, and that's just like on the not good part of it, but the reality is, is what happens a lot, and these are particularly with the kind of companies that we work with, is that they are growing leaps and bounds. And you're at this point where like, I don't want to lose my shirt. How can we continue growing and knowing that we are sustainable, knowing that we can hire these people and be able to pay them in six months from now. Speaking of which, I've got a referral for you, just as I'm thinking, <laughs> because like <laughs> we have these conversations constantly. One part of it is truly mindset. And then there's some part of the structure, you really have to get the structure set up so that you can actually, it can alleviate that and know that the peace of mind knowing that. And we recommend for our clients when they're hiring different resources, that whenever you can find a resource that will be able to do a number of things for you to take on that resource, because it'll be a lot cheaper than hiring it in-house. On top of that, you can get much better service and then you get high level skills, then you don't have the turnover. So that's one of the things that I really like about what you guys are doing because it's would you call yourself. I don't want to say the word full service. I don't ever like the word full service, but you guys are integrating into their businesses.
0: Yeah, well, I like that? that phrase. We paid a lot of money for
2: <laughs> Yeah. What's that phrase? We paid our branding company a lot of money. Yeah, now. technology and
0: relationship-based accounting partners.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, integrated is a term we use a lot because I was was saying earlier that we are an integrated part of the team. We are just like an in-house accountant. But if you think about the structure of a larger company and what their accounting department looks like, it's typically they have a bookkeeper, they have an accounts payable clerk, they have an accounts receivable clerk, they have a controller, they have a CFO, they have a payroll person. And small businesses need all of those functions, but they don't need all of those people. And so- we come in with a team of people and work together. Most of our clients have at least two, sometimes three for doing payroll as well, team members. And we all have our function and we already know what we're doing. If one of my employees is out on vacation, somebody else is there to step in. If one of my employees quits, the business owner isn't affected. There's also this idea of internal controls because I've seen it happen more than once with clients where they have one person in their accounting department and the business owner I think it comes back to just that insecurity around finances. So they take their eye off the ball and they don't want to look at the financials. They don't want to look at what's happening in in the bank statement. And I've seen it happen again and again where people get stolen from because they only have one person in the accounting department. And 99% of the time when fraud occurs, it's one person acting alone. So just by adding a second person, even if you had an in-house accountant that you loved, if you hired a firm, an outsourced firm that could just do a month in review or do a certain piece of it, that would significantly reduce your chances of being stolen from. Another thing we do, so a lot of our clients, we pay their bills for them electronically. We'll use bill.com or Relay Financial. So what we'll do is we'll manage all the data input and then we'll set it up. So the business owner or the CEO, whoever on someone on their end is actually approving it and we cannot release money until someone on the client side has actually approved it. So we're also implementing controls when we're working with our clients as well as doing the services for them.
1: I don't think people realize how common that really is, have the fraud happening in the business, the embezzlement.
2: I would say in our portfolio, I was actually doing the math, 10% of them have been stolen from. That's probably, that. I don't know what the, what the odds are. And that's just of clients that they have found out. I can't imagine how many are
1: out there that and they've those are- found out. Those are the companies who are self-aware enough to actually get help. I've heard that it's higher than 30%. I don't have the statistic off the top of my head. So that's just what I have I've read in the past and I have nothing to point to that. But the fact that you're having 10% from those who are actively aware and actually trying to solve or prevent the challenge, that tells you that it's significantly higher at the, the better range. I saw this with my brother's company where they had $30,000 plus. Actually, that was just the first round. There was And that's pure profit because the money that's taken out is profit. And that was embezzled from the company with, from a very high trust manager who they had working for them. And here, get this, when they finally, they turned them in and her boyfriend actually came in and broke into the business to steal all the files. So this is someone who they had a high level of trust with. And that was just, and they found someone else who was doing that too later on. It's always somebody that
2: they trust, a the family member. I've seen a business partner. So even if you have partners and one person's doing the bookkeeping, I've seen that happen before. It's always someone they think would never do it. You just can't trust anybody. And it's opportunity too. They have the opportunity. Nobody's checking. It's just, they start justifying it. Oh, I'm not getting paid enough. Right.
1: There's always some way to justify it because they know what they're doing is wrong. So find a way to justify, oh, there's plenty of money. They're sitting yeah. back there and stashing away meanwhile not realizing that you know the CEO has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of their life in putting together this business many years not getting paid at all we've all been to that that gone through those earlier stages in the business that absolutely sucked in the later parts of the business that's when you really should be able to cash out on the investments that you've been making but staff members are oftentimes not going to understand it and see it that way
0: a lot of people go to someone close for their accounting or bookkeeping support as like their first solution, if it's not their CPA or some other kind of professional who's not specifically, you know, for like operational managerial financial accounting. I think that's what contributes to making it such an emotional decision. I think a lot of times people are saying to us, well, my friend or my family member is doing the bookkeeping, so I'm not comfortable sharing with them, this is how much I want to take out of the business, or this is how much I want to grow the business. And so even like, aside from just theft and dishonesty, there's huge value in separating that function from someone you have a personal relationship with in that way, so that you can just start having bigger, more honest, more transparent conversations. Aside from just, I think maybe people aren't talking and that's also leading to the theft, but there's bigger issues that are coming from you not having a really super clear channel of communication with a good financial partner.
2: I would add on to that, a lot of our clients end up exiting at some point, right? Which we're happy for them, sad to see them go. But because we're not an employee, it's much easier for them to have those forward-looking conversations with us a couple of years in advance so we can start planning help them get through due diligence, which is a lot of work and get everything cleaned up and ready to go and get them at a point where they can actually exit and sell their business. You can't really do that as much with an in-house person because you typically don't tell your employees until the is about to go through. So it's nice having that external third party that can help you through that process.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Ashley, to your point about having people that are close, not just doing the books, but overall managing the finances. We've seen this happen a lot of times where one of the spouses is doing it and it causes contention in their relationship. And then not to mention, like oftentimes the person, they don't have training in it either. <laughs> that can happen as well. But the, here's the thing is, is it can be really tempting. It can be really tempting because I know that, for example, if I had my husband take over some of these pieces in the business, I know that he's not going to embezzle anything. And if, if he does, it's like, it's just going to us anyway, right? So um, it's all the same. It's all the same between us. So there's like this high level of trust. So like, it gives you this level of comfort. What I'm hearing is, is that we need to find a way to be able to generate that level of comfort, that level of trust, but in a way where you can actually hold the person to account. And I find with this, this sort of thing, having an external component so much better because there's a lot of private information that you might not want a member of your team, a member of your staff to have. That's just one more reason to have this be outsourced. And another reason that I, I see too, is that I'm, I'm trying to think of, of an in-house CFO that has been on our client's team who has not been dead weight. I'm trying to think of that. I can't think of one because oftentimes what they're doing is they're not strategic enough to really understand the big picture of the growth of the company. So they're in a constant opposition with what we're telling them to do and what we're advising them to do that's actually going to grow the freaking company. And they're like listening. So it's really frustrating because they're almost always overpaid, but they have them over a barrel too. So those are the things that I have seen. It's really interesting too, because there was one one of our CEOs that they're... Sent me over this big, huge packet of their financial information that had like, I mean, dozens of different KPIs and all these things that really just, you don't need to track all those things, especially if you're like at a $2 million company. You're not that big. All right. You don't need three dozen KPIs. All right. Because, and then I asked him, there was one, I don't remember exactly which the KPI was, but it was a really important one. It was like around churn or something. And he didn't have it. I'm like, ah, they have all these <laughs> stupid numbers and nothing that actually matters. So, that's one of the challenges I see with companies of this size is they kind of group together this role. So maybe their are COO, they're having their CFO too, and do kind of a double duty. And this person's constantly justifying their own salary, which means that they're like protecting their turf and actually slowing down the company. I mean, so many times I'm just like, fire them because they're not <laughs> helping your company, right? Anyway, there's my soapbox I'll get off of. <laughs>
2: no, and we see that too. I would be careful about someone that they're selling pitch is I work with a fortune 500 company and all these big businesses, because we know the small business space so well, and it's so different. And the things that are important to a small business owner are much different than a large organization. And so when we're looking at KPIs, they're much more simple than that. At the end of the day, the business owner wants to know how much money can I take home and how do I get there? Right. And so all of the KPIs that we build are much more focused on getting to that end result. The other thing I was going to say was we do everything on a fixed fee. So we're much more focused on outcomes and outputs rather than inputs. Whereas what I see is a lot of CFOs come on, they bill by the hour and they're constantly trying to find new stuff to work on so that they can get paid more. So- They're not thinking about how much value can I create for this organization. They're thinking about how can I create more billable hours for myself so I can get paid. I work at a CPA firm where we build by the hour and it's just not value for the client. The client doesn't care how much time you spend on it. They want to know that you can solve their problems. And so when we have that initial conversation with the client during the sales process, Ashley listens to what their issues are. And we build a custom solution around those issues, knowing where the client wants to be in five, 10 years, and then helping them track their progress on getting there.
1: Yeah. I just want to kind of transition this over to like a couple exiting out of these different things. So what are some of the things that CEOs need to take into consideration for being able to exit out of the financial pieces? Because what's going on is they're got a bookkeeper and they're doing accounts payable. God forbid, please don't say they're doing accounts receivable, but oh my gosh, so <laughs> many of them are.
2: All of them. Um, yeah. And I it's just like, oh my gosh,
1: that's like, get out of that immediately. Not only does it take up so much of your your time and your brain energy, but you will not be able to find some of these little details. Like Because I have been out of accounts receivable for years and years, we had a little discrepancy that was so easy to miss. It was so easy to miss. And we had someone on our team find $10,000 that would have otherwise, it showed on our payment processor, it went through. But she was able to, to be tracking that in such minute detail, I would have totally missed it. I know I would have missed it. So I know that they need to be out of this. So what are some of the steps that they need to be taking? And what are the things they need to be thinking about as they're exiting these parts of the business?
0: Invoicing, invoicing,
1: invoicing.
0: I just nailing down that workflow from beginning to end. It's starting with your sales pitch, like with your payment terms, right? And what that looks like, you know, getting paid up front, having an invoice process that gets that to their inbox super quickly. You're talking about all the way at the end of the workflow, like missing something through your payment process. Or a lot of times we're just not even seeing anything to that level of sophistication when we first come on. We're seeing that you're not even invoicing. It's handshake deals, it's emails, it's, you know, you're building these personal relationships as a small business owner and you're like almost afraid to um, assert yourself in that way of like, boom, here's my invoice in your inbox, like we talked about this. But like that's the biggest thing I think we're seeing with clients right now is cash flow issues, right? To Nicole's point, yeah. you've built this team that you've paid six pay periods, but you don't have someone making sure that your clients are paying you. We're sending out those invoices timely. And so I think what Nicole and I have really recently discovered is invoicing used to be one of the last things that we would take on because it's very personal to a business owner. You know, they've created those relationships with their clients, but without getting in there and getting control of it up front and
1: solidifying your cash flow, are you even still running your business? I am. I'm blown away that you're telling me all these these companies are not running with with invoices when we start
2: working with a lot of these companies, they're taking 30 days before they even send out the invoices and they're putting them into emails. They're not even sending them out of the accounting system. And a lot of the times when we try to take it over, we have to rebuild a workflow so that we can get it out of their head because they know, oh, that invoice has to go out next month because we haven't started this project yet. A lot of times it's a capacity issue too, where they're signing a contract and saying, let's go. And then they're like, ah, it's delayed, it's delayed, it's delayed. And it makes it really difficult for the business owner to hand it off to somebody if they don't have a system and a repeatable process. And if you have multiple projects going on and some are recurring and some aren't, it's challenging. But what we do is we'll actually, if we are going to take over invoicing for the client, we'll work with them on building out a workflow and having like a master Google sheet with all their clients and all the contracts and the payment dates and all the terms. And a lot of times they don't even have that like, one google sheet that they can go to where everything is so they're never going to be able to get it off their plate unless they have a system.
1: Great. And what you were actually talking about with invoicing, I'm hearing what you're saying too because here's the thing is that like they'll invoice after the work is done, which is terrible. You want to you don't want to even invoice before the work is done. You want to collect the money before you start yeah. the work. That's the way you want to do it because otherwise like you're saying, six cycles of payroll could be going. You're you're essentially becoming the banker for your clients. So what I'm seeing too is one of the drawbacks to this, like what's actually holding them back stuck into this is a weak sales, a very weak sales process. Because a weak sales process they like, oh, let's just go ahead and get started. We'll just get started, right? And instead of actually like really solidly closing the sale, which is also going to increase their client retention because they're going to have committed clients. Because another thing that I'm seeing too, and maybe let me know if you guys are seeing this too, is that they'll get started on the work and then the work won't be able to be completed because the client doesn't get back to them with the stuff. So then they're delaying invoicing. And I'm like, ah, you guys are like going two months without getting paid on this because mm-hmm. the client is not giving back. You got to restructure your agreements so that you can really hold your client's feet to the fire that, you know what, they're going to be paying whether they're getting you the back the stuff or not.
2: Once they sign that contract, at that same time, you should be collecting payment. And what we try to push is you take their payment information. So the next time that invoice gets generated, you automatically pull the money from the bank account. So it's a push versus a pull. You're not sending out the invoice and waiting for them to pay it. You create the invoice and you pull the money, whether that's a credit card or an ACH processor. In some situations, we do have clients that work with big businesses like Nike, Google, and they have huge AP processes and they're not going to get paid for 90 days. So for those situations, you always want to make sure you have a line of credit, but you also want to make sure that your margin on those projects are much higher than your other projects because you're incurring so much risk and you're carrying that line of credit balance, right? For nine or first three to six months waiting for them to pay you. So you have to take that into consideration when you're considering taking it on these projects, Mm -hmm. because We have some clients that won't even take on those big projects anymore with the big companies because that'll put you out of business if you don't manage it correctly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And those are oftentimes more likely projects that are going based on RFP. So you're like fighting for this work and they're going to be saying, this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. And then they're also the clients that are like, oh no, we're not going to give you any results. We want you to create results for us, but we're not going to give you any data to let you know whether we're actually being successful. So you have no case studies. And no ability to actually use that to sell the next client. So sometimes those bigger clients can be a real pain in the butt and not worth it. I'm not saying in all cases. I mean, we have some clients that work with the top three tech companies in the world and their business model is built around that. And they've been able to figure out how to make that work with some of the things that you're talking about too. The
0: other thing that I've seen to answer your question about like what's preventing people from really getting on this invoicing structure is taking it full circle of everything we've talked about so far money is a very emotional, sensitive topic. And so one is just a bigger case for outsourcing your invoicing process, you know, again, because we're not going to be afraid to go get your money for you, send that invoice out. But the second thing is um, it, during your sales process, right? If that becomes too emotional, like you really have to simplify that. It needs to be a simple terms. So you can't be negotiating constantly on your value or your pitch. Like once you have those services, and you're confident in them, and you're confident in your delivery, get more confident in closing it really cleanly and simply with very simple payment terms, payment upfront, recurring payment on the first of every month instead of hourly billing, things of that nature, because then you can pass it off to someone. If you're customizing everything, you have net 15, you have net 30, I'm not going to bill you, we'll get started for you first, but you have to pay upfront. That's just one is a ton of emotions that you're exerting during trying to close that sale. And two, like at the end of the day, the right client, you're going to make that connection, close the deal, and they're just going to pay you. It's not going to be this back and forth. So I think it's just everything we're talking about as far as being able to hold your clients accountable, taking the emotion out of this function of your business so that you can be successful because without money, your company's not running anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the big things that we see makes the difference between whether you can say these are our terms, this is how we work, is... If you have a really compelling offer, a really compelling offer is going to allow you to ask for more cash up front. It's going to allow you to say, these are our terms. We have a waiting list. You can choose to take it or not. And that's what allows you to throw your weight around in the sales process. When you're getting to a point where your offer is going to be able to help you turn away 80% of the business that comes to you. That's one of the things that we do. It allows you to really say, this is how we work. And doing that, it simplifies everything in your business. So I love all the things that you're saying because it's really confirming some of the other pieces that we work with clients on with Scale to Freedom because they it all just connects together. So I love I love what you guys are doing here. So I want to just sum up a few things. Well, some of the biggest things I've been hearing from you is one of the first things to do is to break down your invoicing process and, and workflow and putting that together into Google Doc, getting that out of your head and removing the emotions from that and to really be having multiple people involved in this to reduce the risk i'm hearing also that to really stand firm in your terms and how you work with clients getting paid up front as much as possible and then having that pull versus push so that you can actually be getting paid without having to chase your clients around really great stuff here any last advice that you might want to share for a consulting agency owner who's making this transition to to this place where that they have less knowledge less expertise But they know they need to make some changes to be able to grow.
2: Yeah, I would say just think of it as an investment, not a cost. And typically a good number, if you're trying to figure out how much should this cost, two to four percent of your revenue is typically what should be spending on your accounting and finance function. And shop around, you know, don't just go with the first person that raises their hand or you get referred to. Shop around and make sure that there's a good personality match and a good cultural match because there is such a diverse array of Service providers in the accounting space and everyone does things differently. I would say we're much more integrated than a lot of firms are. A lot of them just want to do the basic level bookkeeping. We're really like more of that elevated in between get you to the next step firm. So you may be at a point if you're a smaller business where you just need basic bookkeeping and tax return preparation. So in that case, it's probably best to go to a firm that does bookkeeping and tax prep. A lot of these firms that do bookkeeping and tax prep don't do the full outsource accounting like we do. So we would be like the next level of that. And then the next level after that would be, okay, you've outgrown momentum. You need an in-house person or in-house team. So there's these three different phases that you go through. And so it's just finding the right person or service for
1: where you are in your business. All right, Nicole, Ashley, so great to have you on the podcast today. How can people reach out and connect? Yeah. If you want to get in contact
2: with us, you can go to momentumaccounting.com and feel free to reach out there. I'm also on LinkedIn and I also have, I'm a co-host on a podcast called Sons of CPAs. It is more geared toward accountants, but we do talk about running a business. So it might be of interest to your listeners.
1: Great. Well, Nicole, Ashley, thanks so much for coming on. You can go to momentumaccounting.com to check out what they're doing over there. They're working with really great agency owners. And thanks so much for coming on the show, ladies. Thanks for for having having us. us. That was was fun. (laughs)
0: That was great. (laughs)